Hello and welcome to today's edition of the FAS Cyprus podcast, Beyond the Divide. Today's podcast is not just a podcast from the Friede Hebert Foundation here in Cyprus. And my name is Hubert Faustmann. Today's also a joint podcast with one of our favorite partners in crime, uh, the Prio Cyprus Center. And our guest today is Mette Hatay, who's senior researcher at the Prio Cyprus Center. Our topic today is the ghost town of Barosha. It's a suburb of the city of Famagusta that in 1974, in the context of um, Turkish military intervention on the island uh, that followed the Greek coup overthrowing the government of the Republic of Cyprus, ended up being a ghost town under Turkish military administration. And in 2019, this place, fenced off um, for more than 40 years, made news again when... Uh, With the help of Turkey and under the instructions of Turkey, Turkey and the Turkish Cypriots opened up parts of that ghost town to the public for the first time. What looked like and could have been a positive move in the context of the Cyprus problem rather made the situation worse, at least so far. It's a complicated, it's an interesting topic, and we have the expert on it with Mete Hatay with us today. So I hope I got you interested and I hope you want to learn more about uh, what this story about the ghost town is about. So very warm welcome, Mete. Hi, <laughs> so tell us a bit more. Tell people who have never heard of Varosha and don't know the background, maybe what we should know about this famous Yes, uh, Varosha was founded uh, back in uh, during the conquest. Uh, it was the expulsion of the Christians from the city. They were sent to live in the suburb of the city, which is when I say city, it was the wall city of Famagusta. So Ottomans emptied the city and uh, moved the people to the suburbs. So this is how the Varosha was uh, established. And gradually it became a Christian uh, uh, town nearby Famagusta. But the uh, uh, Christians and the Greek Cypriots usually call Varosha Famagusta as well, because it's almost uh, as big as Famagusta or even bigger than Famagusta itself. So the suburb, uh, in a way, Uh, was taking over uh, the actual Famagusta before 74. So uh, it was uh, mainly a Christian uh, neighborhood or a uh, suburb or a town, uh, uh, depends on uh, from <laughs> where you look at it. Uh, so uh, in 74, almost 30,000 people were displaced from this place uh, when with the arrival of the Turkish army. Uh, uh, during 74 uh, intervention or invasion. Uh, so uh, uh, some claims it's a bit more than 30,000. Some say it's a bit less than uh, 30,000. There were also many foreigners living in Famagusta who were displaced as well. Maybe talking about uh, two to 3,000 uh, uh, third country Uh, citizens who had properties in in the area, uh, investments, and also worked there. This was the main uh, touristic resort at the time. Uh, uh, they started uh, to build huge hotels uh, uh, back in 1968, in the, the area and many other apart hotels and uh, sort of rental bungalows and uh, things like that, apart from the, the hotel. So it was a, 
uh, vibrant uh, city, uh, attracting a lot of uh, tourists. So it was a big uh, blow on the uh, Greek Cypriot uh, uh, economy uh, at the time. Uh, it was uh, also, uh, I mean, not just uh, Varosha, but also from Augusta port was lost uh, uh, during the 74 division uh, or after the division uh, in 74. Why, why did the Turkish army treat this suburb differently from the other territory they, they conquered? Everywhere else they settled Turkish Cypriots and put it out in the administration of the Turkish Cypriots, but Varosha was, was fenced off and left abandoned. Why? There are a couple of urban legends uh, <laughs> regarding uh, that issue. Some said Turkish army uh, didn't stop. They were supposed to stop and uh, they went uh, uh, further than they were not supposed to go according to their plan. Uh, but then uh, they decided to keep it as a bargaining chip for the further uh, negotiations. The other uh, claim is that uh, it was a deliberate takeover, again, to use it as a bargaining ship. So in all the cases, Varosha was to be used in the uh, future negotiations by Tur Turkish side. Uh, so uh, whether it was deliberate, the first action or not, it was uh, uh, the initial decision and later decisions were always uh, uh, keeping Varosha on the bargaining table. Uh, and it was offered by Turkish Cypriots on different occasions, eight times uh, during the negotiations uh, to the Greek Cypriot side. Uh, uh, to, uh, they wanted, uh, as a reciprocity, of course, by offering it. Uh, so it was it was just used as a bargaining chip. So you're already on it. What's what's the significance of Arosha for both sides in the context of of the Cyprus problem? What's the symbolic significance there? Yeah, the, the real weight of this issue within the context of the, the wider. I mean, first of all, it's this humanitarian aspect. Uh, uh, we're talking about 30, 35,000 people being displaced uh, 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 from uh, their homes, their investments, their businesses and everything. And it's been 44 years. Uh, a lot of them passed away. Now the inheritors are uh, there, but still uh, it has the emotional, economic, financial uh, importance for uh, many people. Uh, on the other hand, for Turkish Cypriots, if you look at the Turkish Cypriots, as I said, for Turkish Cypriots, still it is uh, in a way used uh, like a bait uh, to sort of get something uh, uh, against this uh, the opening in that sense. So, uh, uh, we will come to that, of course, uh, what international law uh, entails uh, for the opening of Varosha and uh, things like that. But the importance of Varosha is, uh, in a way, if it was handled properly or if it is handled properly, it can add a constructive attitude to uh, the processes, negotiations by the return of the uh, actual owners or uh, restitution of the properties, reinstatement of the properties. The territorial adjustment, readjustment uh, is important as well. It's not just uh, the individual uh, rights of re restoring or reinstating the property to the individuals. It's also re restoring the administration back to the place. What's, 
what's the position of the international community and, and therefore what are the provisions in terms of international law of how the ghost could be dealt with? Uh, of course, uh, there are two important uh, positions regarding the, the international law, I believe. Uh, uh, one is the individual rights, human rights, uh, as Court of Human Rights uh, demands from uh, Turkey or the subordinate authority in the north, uh, to restitute or restore the, the this individual rights uh, of the Greek Cypriots. So, uh, For a long time, uh, it's been 10 years now, the, the, there has been a committee established, Immovable Property Committee. So for individuals, uh, owners of the affected properties, uh, to be allowed to uh, apply, uh, yeah, to get their properties back or a compensation if they wish to, or an exchange. There are three main ways of uh, restoring their property rights. One is reinstatement of the property. Second one is the exchange with the Turkish Cypriot property in the uh, Republic uh, of Cyprus controlled areas. And also uh, third one is compensation, getting the uh, lawful uh, just compensation for the properties uh, they left. So that's for the individuals. But the other problem is the territorial problem. Who's going to run the place? Who's going to be the sovereign of the uh, place. So there are three options. One is uh, it will continue to stay under Turkish control and those who come back, come back to live under this de facto uh, unrecognized state's control. Second option is to give the properties, uh, give the, the sort, of, sort of the administration and the territory back to Republic of Cyprus control. Yeah. And the third is what they say, United Nations control. Of course, the United Nations control hasn't been detailedly explained, clearly explained. What will United Nations do? Uh, all right. They, what is United Nations control over the place? Who's gonna, Are they going to collect the garbages or not? <laughs> I mean, so you have uh, levels of sovereign effects of, uh, of an administration there. All this will be discussed. Yeah. So, uh, sorry to interrupt, but to the best of my knowledge, there are two UN resolutions on the issue, articulating in a way the, the views of the international community. Maybe you yeah. can explain to our listeners. Yeah, yeah. The I was official position of the international community. Yeah. I was going to come to the second international uh, law uh, position. As I say, the first one is the individual's right to access their property. Uh, this is what Turkish Cypriots are using as an international law leverage uh, to say that we are opening it because you are asking us to give the properties back, yeah? uh, restore the human rights back. And they are saying that they are doing it on individual rights. The second one is the United Nations resolutions, two, three different times uh, for different reasons. The United Nations passed uh, certain resolutions and saying that the uh, Varosha Uh, status quo should stay as it is, should not be open under any control uh, than the lawful owners. But the, this lawful owners uh, thing is, of course, still wait. I mean, it doesn't say don't the properties back to the people. It says that uh, the territorial uh, management administration of the place uh, cannot be uh, under the Turkish uh, control. Yeah, so that that is the conflict in the international area. 
uh, in that sense. So the, if Turks want to go ahead and uh, restore the properties back to the lawful owners, while they're doing that, they should also make it clear that this place is not going to be under only Turkish control or it's not going to be the de facto territory of the uh, of the de facto state. So uh, that's the problem now. Uh, in a way, they have to agree on a third solution. Yeah, they they don't have to give it back to territorially, uh, back to Republic of Cyprus, but somehow they can opt a third option and uh, allow United Nations uh, to intervene in the area and have the uh, full control, the sovereign rights over the area in that sense. So, Oh, and that brings the bargain uh, on the table. Yeah, how are they going to allow this positioning of the United Nations in the uh, problem? So, wh- why did they then open it after more than forty years in two thousand nineteen? Can you tell us a bit about the background and why, basically now or recently? Yeah, one reason was as I was uh, uh, trying to explain earlier on. Uh, it's the piling up of uh, the compensation uh, demands yeah they've been paying a lot of money to affected properties the greek cypriots left uh, were disposed of uh, in uh, after 74 so uh, because they established this uh, committee uh, thousands of people are applying to this committee to get their properties back or to apply for compensation against their properties yeah Uh, and they have been paying a lot of money uh, until now, uh, around $200 million uh, they paid so far, uh, as far, as far as I remember. So uh, yeah, that's a lot of money for a small uh, de facto state uh, question. Now they get the money from Turkey, but even for Turkey, it's becoming a big burden in that sense. So uh, Varosha, with this compensation scheme has started to become not a bur- uh, bargain, but a burden uh, with the time for the Turkish administration uh, in that sense. Yeah. So they by allowing Greek Cypriots to get their properties back, because these places are empty places, there aren't anyone living in them. There aren't any refugees like the other affected properties in the north uh, occupying these uh, places. It's just empty ghost town we're talking about. It will be easier to uh, allow re- reinstatement and restitution. So by doing that, they will skip paying millions of uh, euros, dollars, or whatever, uh, as compensation. So that's one of the reasons. The second was the more political, in a way, uh, changing the parameters attempt of the situation by uh, opening Varosha is uh, to show the, to the world that this de facto state can decide what to do with whatever it, it likes, like a sovereign state. So it's a one of these uh, uh, sovereign uh, sovereignty complex uh, <laughs> that the. Uh, Uh, sh- that is shown by the, the unrecognized uh, state in that sense. Of course, with the, the encouragement of the Turkey. Uh, the plan came from Turkish Cypriots to open Varosha by uh, Mr. Özersay. He spent a lot of time to convince Turkey to open Varosha for resettlement. Who is Mr. Özersay? Maybe just to explain for... Yes, sure. Uh, Mr. Özersay was the former negotiator under uh, Mr. Talat and uh, Erolu, uh, who were the former uh, leaders of Turkish Cypriots. Uh, 
but uh, he was the foreign minister uh, only uh, three months ago, until uh, three months ago, and he's been an active uh, uh, diplomat for the last 10-15 years uh, in, in the North, and he, uh, this proposal is his baby, in a sense. Uh, that he's been working on there. So, uh, but Mr. Ersin Tatar, who is the current uh, leader of the Turkish Cypriots, who received the huge help from Turkey to be elected in that sense. So there was a lot of complaint about uh, intervention in the elections. He, in order to win the elections uh, and uh, to show that he's uh, he has more leverage uh, in Turkey-Cyprus relationship, he convinced Mr. Erdogan to intervene with him uh, and open the Varosha just before the elections to make a big show that uh, they are supporting Ersin Tatar. Yeah? So it was part of the election campaign. Uh, the reason why they hurried up to open uh, before the election was totally a local uh, political issue <laughs> in that sense. So, uh, as I say, the other urgency was because the compensation was piling up. The second one was to use it as a political tool in the elections, in that sense. That's why they opened it. Uh, just to add a bit, I mean, this was under Turkish military administration, Barosha. It was not under the control of the Turkish Cypriots. What's What was Turkey's agenda in this? I mean, they must have been at least complicit. I don't think it would have been possible without their approval. And Mr. Erdogan even went there and had a picnic on a, on a rainy day. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about the Turkish agenda. The yeah, Turkish agenda is uh, to show uh, the world. I mean, they are clumsily trying to uh, show that they will allow 30,000 people to come back. But the, the way they do it is in a very uh, spectacular Ottoman way. Uh, like uh, they conquer, they are giving properties back. Now they cannot say this to the nationalists in Turkey that they are quitting properties <laughs> in Russia. So they have to turn it into a package, nationalist package, that it doesn't look like a weakness. It it looks like a, a big step uh, for the, you know, uh, uh, Turkish Cypriots or Turkey in that sense. So the whole show was to calm down the nationalists in Turkey who are a lot. <laughs> and uh, a lot of his constituency is uh, from this kind of the uh, the people who believes in conquest and the holiness of the uh, <laughs> you know um, sh shedding blood on the soil and this turning into it a Turkish soil you know that's the main uh, sort of uh, fetish uh, mentality that uh, Turkey has in, in that sense or in the Muslim rhetorics they use this uh, Islamic ritual let's say yeah. So uh, it was just a show to please the constituents. Again, it was for local consumption. Yeah, because at least to me, it looked more like a like a provocation than a, actually a positive gesture. Since yeah, without the Turkish or Turkish Cypriot administration, we are not going to return it. So it looked like back in the Turkish Cypriots taking over the last territories that are most <laughs> likely to be returned. For me, this was why it looked. To, to people who are not informed, like a, such such a great move, and for people who are deeper involved in the Cyprus question rather than the provocation, than a conciliatory gesture. Would you, would exactly, you we, were, we were furious as well. Those who were working for the opening of Varosha 
and return now the uh, refugees. We were furious because the way it was done was to, uh, yes, create uh, uh, resentment among uh, Greek Cypriots and to show this resentment as the right thing to, uh, you know, for those constituency. Like we're doing the right thing for as nationalists uh, to, you know, annoy the enemy. <laughs> kind of way. But in reality, they are making a concession. Yeah, my <laughs> sort of. <laughs> it's bring in disguise for a concession, trust me. <laughs> That's what hardly anybody saw it that way. And, yeah. and just to the provocative aspect, when they opened it up, there were also claims that large parts of Arosha should actually not be returned to the Greek Cypriot owners, but to the true owner, Efkaf, the pious foundation of the Turkish Cypriot yeah. community. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about this aspect of the Arosha question? Look, I mean, this was uh, the initiative taken by the local FGAF experts, first by uh, Mr. Taner Dervish, who was the former FGAF manager. They found some title deeds uh, which shows that uh, Varosha was uh, the FGAF property during the Ottoman period. And this is true. I, academically, uh, if you look at it histo- as a historian, it is true. It was a farm. It was called Tekeliki Farm. The area it was a citrus plantation area. Uh, as we know, uh, in the Ottoman period, there wasn't any private property ownership anyway. <laughs> so, so it was either owned by the state or Vakuf Pius Foundations. Yeah. Uh, so uh, these farms were uh, FK farms, but later uh, it was transferred into private ownership during Tanzimat that started, even before British arrived, yeah, and continued during the British period. So if you, th- of course, the FKAF claims that the FKAF property stays as FKAF property for good. Yeah, then it's Budapest there is Ottoman property as well. Or <laughs> tell the parents about it. I'm sure they will. Be <laughs> so it's an academic argument. Yes, it was an Ottoman property. Yeah, before that it was Venetian, and before that it was Lusignan. So I mean, so what? Uh, so I don't think it it, it can has have a huge effect on this uh, kind of uh, negotiation. They they did try by uh, striking a court uh, uh, decision in Famagusta court without the representation of the other party. Yeah, and it is unlawful. So uh, recently, the, the High Judiciary Council decided that they will recognize the seventy four title deeds. That means not the FKF title deeds. Yeah. So, so the Turkish Cypriot court struck down the demands of FKF? Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it did, it did uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, the, the, the argument used by the Greek Cypriot later owners was that uh, that the Turkish Cypriot community was compensated by the British during the end of their colonial rule and therefore relinquished any rights. Is there validity to that? I don't know. Is Mr. Akliyas Dimitriadis also brings that up? As he knows it uh, properly, that uh, which property is being affected with this decision is not clear in that compensation. So it was a lump sum compensation. Don't sue me, kind of uh, attitude regarding the mismanagement of uh, FCAF uh, during the British period. So. Uh, does that include the property rights as well in it? I'm not sure. So that's another uh, sort of a long discussion in that sense. I believe that the 
there were compensations long before 1960. Uh, the, the laws they changed uh, during, uh, like in Turkey, Turkey was owned, one third of Turkey, Anatolia, was owned by FKF as well. <laughs> but the Atatürk modernizing the state uh, transformed all these properties into state properties. Yeah. So uh, you could, uh, it depends on the sovereign, who the sovereign is. Uh, you cannot. Uh, insist that there was other sovereign and uh, and his law is still uh, continuing like this and uh, we have to obey it. Uh, so I believe that uh, it's not, it's a non-started, uh, this discussion. Uh, the compensations were paid long before, as I say, uh, for the mismanagement compensation. Uh, there was a tight system. FCAF had a VACUF system has different models. One is you sort of donate the produce over the land, wheat and barley, yeah? One-fifth, you say, that it belongs to poor people, yeah? So uh, if uh, tithe system, this way of taxation system, you can donate the tithe to FGAF, yeah? Tithe is for the state. Uh, you tax people from their produce rather than cash. You take their uh, wheat and barley is one-fifth or one-tenth or whatever, yeah? So they changed that system. They said, we're canceling the tithe taxation. So immediately, the tithe vacuums, uh, the found uh, trusts, disappeared. And they paid compensation to those who had tithe uh, uh, sort of vacuums. All these things uh, uh, passe. I mean, I, I believe that it's, it has an academic interest. Yeah, how they did it and everything. There were some mismanagement, but it's only, uh, I believe that it's just for historical notes, uh, not uh, for the current discussions. So let's let's go to the to the current discussion or rather the future. What's going to happen next? What are, what are the scenarios? You, you spoke a bit about it, but maybe to make it clear in a, in a systematic way. So, so where, where are we heading now? What are the next steps? Maybe combined with that, is there, and I think you said it already, but maybe you can just repeat it, is there constructive way? Yes, I mean, this uh, uh, sort of, uh, as you nicely put it, uh, as this uh, step uh, looks like a provocation, we, uh, it means it's not very constructive. Yeah, that means that you have to get the Greek Cypriots on the boat as well uh, while you're doing that, the owners of these uh, properties. So uh, there should be a communication channel open on the issue and uh, allow the refugees to have a say in what how what kind of feature they are entailing for this area yeah uh, so i believe that the third option is possible because uh, i don't think before a comprehensive settlement turkish cypriots will hand over the territory back to uh, greek cypriots but what they can do is they can create a third space something like pile or something like uh, i don't know uh, uh, there are uh, different enclaves existing uh, like this, so it can be a third zone uh, where United Nations is uh, the responsible body, but also uh, with the representation of Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots running the daily affairs there, in a sense. So uh, that option uh, can be a, a, a very uh, productive uh, attitude, and it will have a spillover effect on the other issues, I believe, because opening Varosha, 
restoring all those buildings, turning it into a touristic place, but also allowing uh, spaces for Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots to collaborate on running the place, in a sense, uh, uh, will bring an exercise uh, before the actual comprehensive settlement uh, to how to run the affairs together and bring the uh, culture of uh, cooperation uh, to the uh, you know, it's it, it would be a test case as well for the uh, for the, you know future federal uh, solution uh, in that sense. So that could be the small uh, uh, model uh, for federal solution. Uh, the way they they can arrange the uh, this third space in Cyprus until a solution. Yeah, it's a temporary regime we're talking about. Uh, so uh, instead of leaving it as militarized as it is, empty, you know, uh, and uh, 30,000 people not having access to their properties there, you know, that's, that's the other option. Do we want that? I'm not sure. And the third option, as I, as I explained, is not possible at the moment to give the territory back to the, the Greek Cypriot uh, control, not this regime, not this government at this I know that we will not do that. So, uh, but if you insist on that, it will be the second option that it will stay as it is. Status quo will continue as it is, and a status status quo means the inhabitants of Varsha will be, uh, you know, reptiles and rats and no one else, uh, and some military recreation center uh, <laughs> in the area. So, uh, to have this third option, the best option, it will be good to do what Mr. Arastasiadis already offered, wrote to Mr. Guterres, I think, uh, of uh, uh, this uh, ports business. The port will have a chain reaction. It won't be just giving a favor to uh, Turkish Cypriots. It will allow Greek Cypriots to uh, do uh, what the Ankara Agreement says, meaning having a custom union directly with the, with Turkey, using the ports of Turkey. So by allowing uh, Erjan Timbu, uh, you are uh, allowing uh, Greek Cypriot planes to land in Istanbul, the biggest hub in the region. Yeah, So that means uh, a lot of flights from Russia, a lot of flights from East Europe coming through, cheaper and uh, whatever, uh, to the uh, Greek Cypriot economy. So it will, it will, it has this win-win aspect to it. Yeah. So uh, this third option can bring that in action, I believe. That's the constructive. Uh, uh, if, uh, of course, uh, means if you are constructive regarding this Cyprus problem. Yeah, that's that's the exception to the rule. This is why it's so. But it would be nice, of course, to turn this this provocation into an yeah. act of reconciliation and 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 harvest the the. Positive spillover effects. This would happen. Yeah. Well, what what positive potential there is in something that might turn out into a, into a catalyst for negative developments if if badly handled. So so it's still open where we're heading in that question. Thank you so much, Mete. You know, I, I, I I call you the walking encyclopedia of Cypriot history and mm -hmm. politics. So it was a pleasure as usual to tap into your fountain of wisdom. So this was a joint podcast by. Rio Cyprus Center and the office of the EBAC Foundation here in Cyprus within our podcast series, uh, Beyond 
the divide. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you listen to our other podcasts. They're available on fascypress.org. And I assume also on the Prio website. And now is the chance to promote Prio and their infrastructure. It's prio.org or where can they find it if they want to uh, check out your site? I mean, we are connected to the main center. So if they go to prio.org, uh, there they they will find the Cypress Center's uh, connection. It will be easier to do that. Uh, and they can also have a look what uh, other people also doing. <laughs> Excellent. So you have two websites to explore with plenty of stuff to discover. Big thank you, Mete, again. Thank you for listening. And I hope to listen, you listen to us soon again. Thank you and goodbye from me. Thank you. Bye-bye.